you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah, this morning's a little bit different message for me. I'd ask you to just bear with me. Um, I, I'm the messenger. I, I, I get to preach what God lays on my heart. Um, this morning's a little bit different for me. I, I have never made this a political platform, and any of you that's been here knows that, so I want you to understand this morning, I'm not making it a political platform this morning. I'm not here to talk about politics. I'm not here to talk about politicians. I'm here to talk about Jesus Christ. I'm here to talk about our country and some things that's wrong with our country. I'm here to talk about how God can restore the things that are in our country, but it involves his children coming together and praying and doing some things. But God has made some promises. Amen? So I want to talk for just a little bit um, on what I believe God's laid on my heart. I want to read a couple of letters to you as well from, from outside sources. I'll give you those as we get, get to them. Certainly not looking to endorse any candidate or even any political party, but I will tell you this. If you've paid any attention at all, you know what every person represents. You know what each party represents. You know what each one stands for. And you know what each one stands against. There's a lot more at stake than November 3rd right here. And, and, and where we're at today is a result of some things that we've done wrong. And here in Nehemiah, we're going to... We're going to look at a nation that forsook God. And we're going to look at the location of where they are at the time. But at any rate, I want to, I want to read a letter this morning before I get started, before we read from the book of Nehemiah. The, the letter was last month's letter um, from Dr. James Dobson. I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm not, I'm not here to side with Dr. Dobson. I'm not here to side against Dr. Dobson. He just wrote a really good letter. Um, and, and I want to read the letter I want to take a minute to, to read it, not for political purposes, but to remind anybody that's here and anybody that's watching live stream or anybody that might watch this on recording in the next couple of days of what is at stake come Tuesday morning. His letter says, Dear friends, this will be my final letter before Americans cast our ballots on November the 3rd. It's a breathtaking moment in the history of the United States. Perhaps I'll be permitted to re Pete, a brief comment that I made in my August letter because of its relevance today. Many polit political commentators have stated that this election is the most significant since 1864 when Abraham Lincoln ran for a second term against Democratic nominee George McClellan. The future of our beloved nation hung in the balance that year. If Lincoln had lost, the Civil War would have ended in haste and the wretched evils of slavery would have remained legal in the Confederate States and perhaps even in the North. Had Lincoln been defeated, the Union would have been torn asunder. Thank God Mr. Lincoln won, even though it cost him his life. Now we're approaching another presidential election that carries enormous implications for the stability of our democratic system of government. Indeed, Newt Gingrich said that what we're facing now might be an end to civilization as we've known it. He may have been referring to some possible revolution. Regardless, I believe his grave concern for our nation is valid. For centuries, America has stood as a shining light for liberty and freedom in our nation and around the globe. If we abandon our founding core values, the world will suffer for it. The binary choice before us is that stark. How will Americans, how will you decide who to vote for as chief executive officer? I've heard from dozens of friends and acquaintances in the past few weeks who tell me they're going to base their decision solely on a candidate's rhetoric, tone, style, or likability. Does that describe your thinking process? 
Just now, as I was about to react to the idea, my wife Shirley brought me in an email that she had received a few minutes before from a friend. It quoted an anonymous statement that gets to the heart of the issue as follows. This is not a junior high or high school popularity personality contest. I'm not voting for the person. I'm voting for the platform. I'm voting for the Second Amendment. I'm voting for the next Supreme Court justice. I'm voting for the Electoral College. I'm voting for the republic in which we live. I'm voting for police and law and order. I'm voting for the military and veterans and those who fought and died for this country. I'm voting for the flag that is often missing from some current public events. I'm voting for the right to speak my opinion and not be censored for it. I'm voting for secure borders. I'm voting for the right to praise God without fear. I'm voting for every unborn soul that is at risk of being aborted. I'm voting for freedom and the American dream. I'm voting for good and against evil. I'm not just voting for a person. I'm voting for the future of my country. Dobson says, I couldn't have said it better, but I want to add to the writer's list. I'm also voting for candidates who will exercise sound leadership internationally. I'm voting for those who will support Israel. I'm voting for those who will protect children from leftist curricula. I'm voting for the nation's fiscal integrity. I'm voting for parental rights. I'm voting for school choice and home education. I'm voting for freedom in the suburbs. I'm voting for little sisters and the poor and other Christian organizations. I'm voting for racial unity. I'm voting to support in God we trust and prayer in our schools. I'm voting for freedom of conscience of physicians and other professionals. I'm voting for marriage. I'm voting for life in all its dimensions. I'm voting against euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. I'm voting for wisdom in handling the pandemic. I'm voting for protection for the church from oppressive politicians. One final thought, with all respect, this, is, this election isn't about you. It certainly isn't about me. It's about our kids and our grandkids. It's about those who are yet to come, if they're allowed to live. This vote has awesome implications to future generations and the nation that we love. It's about our Constitution and the immutable God-given right that it protects. It's about values and truth, greatness and hope. This is why the notion of choosing a president based on frivolous personality characteristics is so unfortunate. In summary, this election is for all the marbles. The presidency, the House of Representatives, the Senate, the Supreme Court. Together, they set the agenda for this great country. If you love America and you don't want it to be fundamentally transformed, it's time to do three things. I want you to listen, if nothing else, to the first one. Pray like never before that God will spare this nation, he says, from tyranny and oppression of religious liberty. Volunteer to help your candidates. Vote for the candidates who will best uphold your Christian values and convictions and consider forwarding this letter to your friends and family. God bless America. Dr. James Dobson, Ph.D., president of the Dobson Family Institute. Here in our Bibles this morning, I had you turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. If you would turn there, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the twelfth year. That I was in Shushan, the palace. Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came, and certain men of Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province, in the province are of great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted 
and prayed before the God of heaven. He said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But, I love but God. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast into the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather from thence, and bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. These are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. Prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, The Return of One Nation under God. Thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for loving somebody like me. Thank you, God, for your book. Thank you for your word. Thank you for grace beyond measure, mercy without end. Thank you for love that cannot be compared, God. Thank you so much. Thank you for this country, the United States of America, for the founding forefathers who put it together. Thank you that they stood on the principle of the Word of God, that the laws in this government were set in line with the laws of the Word of God. Thank you, Father, for, for grace that has overlooked our, our countless many failures, God, and sustained us through the years. I pray now, would you move in this place, God? I pray that you'd help us. Father, be the people that you saved us to be. God, I pray you'd help us to be pleasing to you. I pray... Father, would you start with me? Teach me first. Teach all of us something that we might walk out of here having learned something to be a better Christian, a better servant, a better prayer warrior, God. We love you, Father. You've been good to us. I just want to tell you thank you. We praise you in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen. So Nehemiah, he starts out here, he says that he was the cup bearer. If you've never understood that, Nehemiah's a bad dude. The, the cup bearer isn't a an elected official. The, the cupbearer isn't just somebody that just happened to be kind of close to the king and get it. He's kind of like the baddest dude in the land. Number one, he's going to take care of everything that the king gets. He's going to test food and drinks. He's going to make sure things are fit for a king before they are given to the king. But not just that. He's a bad warrior dude. No, nobody's going to mess with the king. What I'm telling you is that Nehemiah is set for life. He is in probably the second highest office in the land. He has all the money he's ever going to want. He, 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 being the king's cupbearer, he's there in the palace at Shushan, so anything that he wants, all he has to do is ask for it. It's all there. He has a retirement plan second to none. For all of his days, he will be very well cared for. He will never want for anything. His children had come along. Anything that he had in the future, anything that he needed is always going to be there. His retirement plan, everything in his life is great. And he says, none of that matters to me. 
the children of God are in reproach. And I'm willing to leave everything to go help them be what God's called them to be. When we get here to Nehemiah, you might as well say on the one hand it's too late for them. You've got to look a few hundred years back to get to where we are right now. You've got to look some hundred years back to get to when they turned their back on God and God allowed the enemy to come in and destroy them. They've already been through all that. They're, they're to a rebuilding. They're, they're where I hope America never has to get to. They're, they're on the other side of destruction. It's all that's there. And in short, here's what they've done. Number one, they, they have worshipped idols. To worship idols simply means they have put things before God. We, we picture idols, we think about the golden calves, right? And, and the 90-foot-tall statues that Nebuchadnezzar built out in the plain of Dura. And we, we think about all those statues and idols. But no, an, an idol is anything that is put before God. It's, it's anything that is deemed as more important than God. You know, like going to sports events instead of going to church. Um... Think, things like putting hobbies ahead of ministries. Um, think, things like personal desires that we put before godly purposes. That, that's what they were doing. They, they had put things before God. They have sacrificed their children on the altar. I'll cast this to you and you do with it what you will. doesn't matter to me. I'm not the judge. I'm just going to cast it and you can decide how you think God views this. They would take a child that is maybe 30 days old and they would sacrifice that child on the altar of Baal. They, they would kill that child and shed its blood and put it on the altar. I know that's gross and gory and sickening and like how in the world could you even think that? How could you? That's what they were doing. So I'm curious just in God's eyes, what's the difference in taking a 30-day-old child and sacrificing it on the altar or backing up 30 days and sacrificing it as it exits the birth canal? I'm not sure that God sees that as any different. So I see some similarities in the countries. Paul in Romans chapter 1, he wrote us this letter to the church of Rome. God preserved it and gave it to us over 2,000 years later. In verse number 16, Paul tells us, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. Verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is... Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Verse number 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools and changed the glory of uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds and a four-footed beast and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of error which was meet. Even as they did not, not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. That, that Greek word simply means it's not fit. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who know in the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, what Paul is pointing out there is the nation that has forgotten God. He's pointing out a nation. He's pointing out the sins of a people who are no longer God-honoring, no, no longer standing on the statutes of thus saith the Lord. He's pointing out a nation. That's a pretty long, extensive list of things there, amen? It would take a little while to go over all those. So I want to shorten the list a little bit. Let's just go over the Ten Commandments. How about that? Let's just take a look at the Ten Commandments and see what they say because there's an awful lot in Paul's list. So instead of Paul's list that God gave him through the Holy Spirit, let's just take God's list that God gave us through the hand of Moses and the law. And let's just look at America and let's just compare the Ten Commandments for a minute. Let's compare where America is to the law that God has set before us. So number one, he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse number three, thou shalt have... No other gods before me. I think we've pretty much covered that one already. I think it's pretty obvious that, that people don't mind skipping church. I think it's pretty obvious that we're in a day and an age that God's not first and foremost the most important. I think it's pretty obvious that we're in a day that a good ball game can come ahead of a, a good Sunday morning church service. I think that, that we can say it's pretty safe to say that a good car race can come in ahead of a Sunday morning church service. be honest, it don't even have to be on Sunday morning. We can go to our favorite team's game on Saturday, and if we got in too late or stayed up and watched it on TV too late, or, God forbid, if our team lost, well, I just can't make it to church on Sunday. Well, I don't think there's a lot of reason to spend a lot of time there. We'll just move on to number two. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. We, we can't say that we haven't broken that one in, in the things that we put before God because we just read it there in the 23rd verse of Romans chapter 1. Changed the glory of uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man what we've done is we've taken the day that is to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ it's the day that is set aside to celebrate the, the day when our Savior stepped down out of heaven and came to earth to pay for my sin so that I don't have to go to hell and we have created a man for that day we've invented a man and we've made him all jolly and happy and, and we've given him all kinds of credibilities 
He knows when you're sleeping. And he knows when you're awake. And he knows when you've been bad or good. And, and he's able to go around the entire globe in just a few hours and visit into every household. We've given him omnipotence like Elohim God. We, we've given him credibility. He is a created being that we have created to put in place of worshiping the day that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He goes on, he says, to birds. We just looked at that in Romans 1.21. It says, neither were thankful. We have a day coming up. We call it Thanksgiving. It's a day that was set aside for the sole purpose of thanking God for this country. Thank God for what you've done. Thank God for saving my soul. That I don't have to go to hell. Thank God for my family. Thank God for our house. Thank God that you delivered us from oppression of other nations. Thank God that you've made us the land of the free and the home of the brave. Thank God that we can come into the house of God and worship and praise and sing and invite the Holy Spirit's presence. We don't have to worry about anybody breaking down the doors and coming in. Thank God that we have a military that has our borders closed, that nobody's going to come in and bomb us in the middle of the night. Thank God that we're people of freedom. God has given us the right, but we've taken that day, and, and just as the text says, we've put a bird in its place. We, we've stuck a turkey in there. And now on a day of Thanksgiving, it's not really going to be a lot about churches or people or even families coming together to give God the praise he's worthy of. We're going to get together. We're going to eat some turkey and dressing, and I can't preach on that too long. Everybody will check out early and head up to the steakhouse. But we're going to get together and eat some really good groceries and watch some football, and that's what the day has become about when it's supposed to be Thanksgiving. But we're no longer thankful. You know something that irks me? Y'all don't mind a momentary brief of Yanceology. I've told you it ain't no good. You can throw it out the window. It bothers me that three weeks before Halloween, they already had out Christmas songs and Christmas decorations. It's like, what about Thanksgiving? It would not bother me if they were so excited to hurry up and get to that day to worship the birth of Jesus. But they've X'd him out of the equation. They call it Xmas. They're only in a hurry to get there because it's their biggest fiscal time of the year. They're only in a hurry to get there for gain of, of money. So we just kind of overlook giving God thanks. Well, that was all free. It says, and four-footed beast. Now, surely we can get away with that one, right? I mean, anybody have a golden calf on your dress at home? Anybody have a, have a golden calf out in your front yard that you worship, bow down to? I mean, surely we can get past that one because none of us have any golden calves in our yards. But how many feet does a rabbit have? We've taken the day that, that it's supposed to be the day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The day when Jesus Christ come walking out of the tomb, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, so that he can offer me eternal life. And we've taken the day when Jesus Christ walked out of the grave on our behalf, and we've made it about a rabbit, and you think this ain't man-made, man-created, colored rabbit eggs. Then it says, and creeping things. We did that one last night. I'm, I'm going to be very brief right there. I'm just going to give you a plug-in. If you have never studied the origin of Halloween as a child of God, you'll do yourself a huge favor to study the origin of Halloween. 
It is demonic. It is witchcraft. It was a day set aside by devil worshipers. Witchcraft and all kind of evil stuff took place on this day. And now, even Christians take our children and dress them up as werewolves and witches and all of these demonic creatures, and, and we join in and celebrate in the day of devil worship. I'm sorry, y'all already got your candy, so it's not like I'm killing your Halloween. You get to go home and eat it. I'm just telling you, do yourself a favor to study the origin of Halloween and see where it comes from and understand that that is a day that we set aside to recognize in our country. But the Bible there says in creeping things. It doesn't leave out any of our holidays. Well, let's just move on to commandment number three. We've been there long enough. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We probably don't even need to pause there, do we? Might hear a lot of old me's coming out of that crowd. Number four, let's just move right on. It says, remember the Sabbath day. Oh, we can't stay here long either. Thank God you're here today, right? I'm sorry for y'all those out there that are watching live stream. I didn't pick this today, but I know you'll be back next Sunday. We're praying for you. We love you. It just happened to be today. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God, and thou shalt in it do not do any work. Thou nor thy son or thy daughter, thy manservant or thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, restore and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it today in America. It's just another day for businesses because people are so worried that they might miss a mighty dollar, that they could care less about what the law of God says. Let me tell you what makes it even worse. I ain't in this by myself. And I know I ain't because I have to wait on you in the drive through line. People like me are going to go support them right after church. We're, we're going to swing by a store and pick up some things on the way home. We're going to stop by another store and get some stuff. We're going to run through a little fast food or some kind of restaurant. We're going to sit down and eat in a restaurant. We're going to go through a drive through We're going to support their opening. Why would they not be open? They're just thankful to see 12 o'clock comes. Well, 1230, somewhere around there. So, so that we can get out and run to it, because by then, your preacher's already talked about turkey and dressing, and everybody's starving. Number five, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's a commandment with promise, and we don't even keep that one. Honor your mother and your father, that your days will be long upon the earth. It has a promise. All you got to do is do that one, but we got more children running houses today than we got cows eating grass. It didn't happen like that in my world. I didn't run my mom and dad's house. And I got one sitting right back there that'll tell you my youngest don't run my house. They didn't then, they don't now. And they ain't going to start tomorrow morning. We're supposed to honor our, our, our mother and our father, but we got children today, they don't, they don't have any respect for any elders. Not teachers, not authority, not police officers. They don't have respect for themselves. Number six, thou shalt not kill. We don't spend a lot of time there. I think we already mentioned that abortion is legal in America. If we hadn't, I'll just mention it now and move right along. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> Do you know that is still on the books in the laws of the United States of America? That's not just in here. 
That, that's, that's in our laws. That's in our written laws. It is against the law to commit adultery, yet Clinton doesn't. The Oval Office, nobody seems to care. It, it doesn't seem to matter at all that people are not only breaking the laws of God, they're breaking the law of the Lamb, which goes on to the next one and says, Thou shalt not steal. It's no different. They're not even misdemeanors anymore. It's like those are just little chump change. It don't matter. I wonder if it matters to God. I wonder if out of all 66 books, he took time to put in 10 laws, and that's one of them. I wonder if it matters to him. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That would be called gossip. Lord knows I can't stay right there long. We're in a Baptist church. We'd all have to tuck tail, crawl out under the pews, go home, make sure we get something to eat along the way to kind of console ourselves. Some people couldn't live without a good gossip. I mean, they got to have a good story. Some of you here right now to find out, get some new information. You'd be ticked off if you find out something happened on Facebook and you didn't know about it until you got here. We, man, we love a good story as long as it's nasty. Don't say nothing good about nobody. Don't be congratulating people doing good things. As long as it's dirty, as long as it's under the table, as long as it's, long as it's backbiting, that's a really good story. And we want that even though God says thou shalt not. Number 10, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor thy covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. You know, it's kind of called like keeping up with the Joneses, right? I ain't the only one in here just got to have something because I saw it. Kind of like that commercial where that dude steals the sofa. I saw it and I just had to have it. You, you, you see things. Our neighbors has got it. And we just, we just got to have it because somebody's, somebody's got it. Just keep up with the Jones. We just... I, all I'm asking is if we look at the Ten Commandments, just, just the Ten Commandments, and we, we take a look at those, is there any one of those that the United States of America is not breaking on a daily basis? Is there anything there that we can say, thank God we're keeping that one? Surely God will have favor on us because we're keeping one. Is there any one of the Ten Commandments that we can say as a nation we're, we're doing a good job? People say, well, that's that Old Testament stuff. That was the Ten Commandments, Old Testament law. Son, you need to know, that was back in the dispensation period of the law. Today we're living in the dispensation period of grace. You need to read your Bible more. I got news for you. I have a doctorate in biblical theology. I know a little bit about the dispensation period of the law. And I know a little bit about the dispensation period of grace. And I know enough to say this, we better thank God. God, we're in the dispensation period of grace, or most of you, like me, would have been burned alive at the stake for the sins that we've committed against the laws of God. I know a little something about the dispensation period of grace, and I'm very thankful that, that we are in the dispensation period of grace. But, but Jesus, he, he narrowed some things down for us. When, when the Pharisees wanted to corner the Son of God and said, what is the greatest law? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So that means all I really have to keep is two. I don't have to worry about any of the rest of them. I don't have to worry about all the things that Paul wrote about there in Romans chapter 1. I don't have to worry about the other eight commandments. I don't have to worry about none of them. All I have to worry about is two. Because if I love God, I will not forsake his commandments. If I love God, I will not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, all the more so as you see the day approaching. 
If I love God, I will love his children, which is love thy neighbor, which is by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from him. I'm not going to curse him. I'm not going to backbite him. I'm not going to slander him. I'm not going to throw rocks. If I love God and I love my neighbor, then all the rest of them come easy. So in reality, all I have to keep is just these two. So the fact that we're breaking as a nation all ten of the commandments against God wonder what God has to say about that nation. Here in Nehemiah, Israel has already been destroyed. This happened back when the, the walls have already been burned. As a matter of fact, you, you, you know your Bible. You know that the nation of Israel has already been split in half. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And what happened back in 772 B.C., the northern kingdom had several evil kings. And they had led God's people away into idol worship. And they had led God's children away into the altars of Baal and, and serving gods of the land, other things they brought in. So in 772, God allowed the Assyrians to come in and destroy the northern kingdom. It wasn't just a little bit later in 586 that God allowed the Babylonians to come into the southern kingdom and destroy Jerusalem, burn down the holy city, the capital of the southern kingdom of Israel, burn down the walls as we see here in the text, and, and destroy the gates and, and tear everything down that was there. It's kind of like God said, you may not worship me, but you'll no longer make a mockery of me. You may break all the commandments and you may think you're getting away with it. And I've been gracious and merciful to you for a long time. But there is a day when God says enough is enough. Here in Nehemiah, there's been several attempts to come back and rebuild the city that's been torn down. If you look and read back in Ezra, you see that Zerubbabel has come and he's brought a remnant of people and Zerubbabel together some people. They've rebuilt the temple of God there and Ezra came back. Ezra the, the scribe, the priest, he's come back and they worked to reinstitute the law and put the law back into order. But what we find out is, is that the walls are still broken down. The gates are still burned with fire. But most of all, what we see right here is that the people remain a reproach. God's people. God's children are, are a reproach to those around them there's other stories in the bible that that talk about how god deals with judgment on a nation there's other stories that talks about how god deals with wickedness in in both ways for example in the book of jonah when god told jonah i want you to go to nineveh why did he send him to nineveh because they looked a lot like america they, they had all kinds of sin, all kinds of crime. They had turned their backs on God. They're living in wickedness. And God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And you warn them. You tell them that if they don't turn back to me, judgment's coming. But y'all know the story. Jonah didn't like Nineveh because they treated the children of Israel terrible. They abused them, beat them. He said, I'm not going to do that. I hate those people. So he took off in the opposite direction. And, and God put him in a fish and kind of redirected his attitude. I'm not here to talk about John. I'm here to talk about Nineveh. God sent him back to Nineveh. He said, you go warn the people. So he warned the people, and this is what they did. Jonah chapter 3, verse number 5. The people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. 
For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from off him, and covered him with sackcloth, and set in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. God sent a warning to a nation. You're living in sin. You're living in idolatry. You're living in wickedness. You got abortion. You got homosexuality. You got open sin. You got adultery happening like it's a common thing i'm here to tell you turn back to god or i'm going to get rid of you and what we see is that they turn to god and, and god withheld the judgment god did not pour out his wrath because that nation turned away from their sin and turned their faces back to god God has sent so many warnings to America time and time and time again. And we've seen like 9-11. You see how people flock to the church by the thousands. Near empty churches all of a sudden are full and everybody's trying to get in and everybody's trying to read a little more and pray in the morning. But 2020 has been a little bit different. Go ahead and say amen. Somebody agrees right there. 2020 has been a little odd. There's been some crazy stuff in 2020. I didn't even, I never knew the church doors had been closed before back during the World War, but I learned that because of 2020. But there, there's been some crazy stuff. You know, when, when COVID first showed up and they asked us to close church doors for three or four weeks while they get a handle on it, do you know that thousands flocked to our live stream? A lot of churches had to get a live stream. We've had that for a long time. We've had the live stream, the recordings, and putting things out. And what we saw was from a small few hundred to, to into the thousands of people all of a sudden are tuning in the live stream. In the second week it grew, in the third week it grew, in the fourth week it grew. Long about the fifth week it kind of tapered off. Long about week six it dropped down a little bit. By the time we got the church doors open, we were already back down on live stream. What we were pre-COVID, the only difference we didn't have people in church. So even the people that used to be in church aren't watching live stream. By the time we did get the doors open, most churches saw about 30 to 35% of their people return back into the church. There's a very real danger when people no longer heed the warnings that God sends. Now, if we look along a little further in the Bible, we look at Nineveh once again. God sent Jonah there, and he gave them the warning. They turned from their sin, and God withheld the judgment. But anybody ever read the Old Testament? Anybody know that's not the end of the story? A couple of books later, Kind of like, you know, after 9-11 and you run to the churches for a little bit and then you go, that was nothing. And, and you know, we, we lost over 5,000 people. And, and But they weren't in my family, right? Isn't it amazing how much difference it makes when it's in your house? Kind of like those that COVID ain't real. It's real to those that have lost loved ones. I didn't mean to get off into all that. I forgot where he was. It didn't... Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget things? 
how quickly forget how good God is and grace and things like that. Nahum went back to their old ways. God sent them another warning. I said, Nahum, Nineveh. I got ahead of myself. But Nahum's the right name. He's the wrong spot. Nineveh turned back to their old ways, and God sent Nahum to warn them again. They said, nah, not this time. We'll watch a couple of weeks of live stream, and then we just won't go back to church. It just doesn't mean that much anymore. So they didn't heed the warning. Chapter 2, verse 13, God said, Behold, I'm against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions. I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. Chapter 3, God closes out the book with this. There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brood of thee shall clap the hands over thee, for upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually. How many chances has America been given to turn our hearts back to God? How many warnings will God send our way? You know what scares me is we don't know which one's the last one. When is the last time, when will God say, I've had it, that's enough? Y'all know the bright spot in all this is that the Old Testament is still there. And 2 Chronicles 7, 14 is still there. And it does still say, if my people, which are called by my name, Christians, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, there's a promise. Then will I hear from heaven. He says, when you pray, I'll listen. I will forgive their sin, all the iniquity, all the transgressions, all the past, all of our mistakes, all of our failures, everything that we've done. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from your wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, that land. And I will heal their land. That's a promise. God made it. God cannot and God will not ever break a promise. I'm not sure how many Christians today are fervently praying. I am sure James told us in 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm very sure that if we pray fervently and effectively that God will heal this land. But it boils down to God's children. The world's not going to get us out of this mess. Politicians, they got us into this mess. They sure ain't going to get us out of this mess. Scientists, doctors, none of those are going to get us out of this. Nothing gets us out of this but God. And God doesn't listen to the world. God listens to his children. So it's up to, to you and I to pray. So what I'm asking is for everybody to earnestly pray, certainly before you vote. But not just before the vote. This isn't about Tuesday. This is about turning a nation back to God. This is about... Another chance for us to, to set aside some wickedness and, and turn back. Can, can I read another letter real quick? Y'all got time? What time is it? Oh, my goodness. I got all kind of time. I'm going to read two more letters. Not to mention, I let us out so early last week so we could meet the deacons and the staff. I got an extra hour I can make up today anyway. I, I want to read another letter to you. This, I have no idea who wrote this. It doesn't give an author. It doesn't give any, any credit. I promise you I'd tell you who it was. I'm a little worried about the name of it. The name of it is a letter to me. The only reason I'm worried is because half of you didn't know exactly what I'm talking about. Said, That's a Brad Paisley song. Not as many knew that. 
You didn't know that, man. There's hope for some of us. Y'all pray for me. I was worried as soon as I talked about a letter to me. The ladies go, oh, that's a Brad Paisley song. Now, y'all come on back in the house for a minute. Y'all stay right here with us. This is, this is a letter. It says, a letter to me. It says, dear me, I've known you for as long as I can remember. I once heard there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Even though I doubt the proverb was speaking of you and I, that's definitely us. I've been close to a lot of people. But none are as close as you and I. Looking back, it's fair to say I've treated you pretty well. More times than I can count, I've put you ahead of anything and everything. As we were growing up, I always tried to make sure that you were in the front of the line. I always tried to make sure that you got the biggest cookie on the plate or the piece of cake that had the most icing. I tried to make sure that you got the best parking space in the lot and the most comfortable chair in any room. In school, I noticed how you liked the little things, so I went after them. You always liked attention, so I did everything I could to make sure you got it. You still like the spotlight, so I've tried to maneuver ways to, to keep you in the path of the light. Now that we have the Internet, I have many more things at hand to keep you popular. Have you ever noticed that I only post the best pictures of you? Anyone who looks would think you're living the dream. When you have a hard time, I've done my best to keep that our little secret. I've tried to make you happy. It was easier when we were young. A simple temper tantrum might get the job done. Now that we're older, I have to be a little more creative. You wanted to keep winning, and you wanted to keep having things your way while appearing to be humble and unassuming. That gets a little tricky and tiring sometimes. I know how you can get defensive at times, but me? You have a tendency not to give me all the information. For example, when we go to the sporting goods store, I love to see you get excited and get new things, but we really should have looked at the budget first. As a matter of fact, you never seem to care about boring things like bills and consequences or even what happens tomorrow. I've said more than just a few harsh words to some people in your defense, but you never warned me about the mess. You never told me that I could not unsay what had been said. I love you, me, Whew, but I can't keep living for you. You always insisted that if I'd just keep you happy, then I'd be happy. And it was as simple as that. But I've come to learn it's not as simple as that, and it never has been. Me, I've allowed you to be in complete control and sit in the driver's seat my whole life, but it's clear that you can't be trusted. You keep on insisting that you know the way to go, but it always seems to lead to another dead end. I've looked into some other options, me. I've decided to go in a different direction. I've decided to follow a path that's narrow, difficult at times, and there's not many that seem to be going this way. But it leads to real and abundant life. However, there's not an easy way to say this, so I'll just say it. Me, I can't take this path if I bring you along. So me, this is the end of you. Sincerely me. See, that's not just a prayer that we need to pray that's not just something we need to do. We don't just need to get self out of the way and say, God, what would you have me to do? That's not just what we need to do Tuesday morning before you go vote. That's what a child of God needs to do every morning that we get out of bed. To, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to be crucified daily when we get out of bed. We need to learn to live a life pleasing to God.
Not, not, just, not just because the election is 48 hours away. Not just because the nation hangs in the balance of what's about to, to take place. The report that is given to Nehemiah here. It says that the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. At that moment, Nehemiah developed a burden for his country. He developed a burden, if you will, for his brothers and sisters in Christ. He developed a burden for those who were lost and on their way to hell that he might tell them about Christ. At the moment he heard about the condition of the land, he developed a burden for his country. He said, it came to pass when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. When's the last time we wept over the condition of the United States of America? And mourned. When is the last time we were broken hearted over the condition of our country? But then he says, and fasted. Listen, if you're broken hearted, you got to be willing to do something about it. If you're really broken hearted for the country, you're going to seek God's will about it. And you're going to do whatever it takes to get them out of it. And he says that, that I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God, that keepeth covenant and mercy from them that love him and observe his commandments. Let now thine ear be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house. He didn't say, God, look out there, that nasty nation. Look out there at those filthy people. He said, God, it starts with me. I have broken laws. I have not earnestly prayed. I have not kept the statutes. I have not kept the commandments strictly in place. I and my father's house have let you down. I want to start right here with I and, and my father's house along with all Israel. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. What we need in America is for some Christians to become burdened about the state of the union. I, I'm not talking about unemployment. I'm not talking about financial stability. I'm not talking about foreign policies or the Federal Trade Commission. I'm talking about the spiritual condition of the United States of America, one nation under God. If we want to see a return to one nation under God, indivisible, we're going to have to become a people of prayer, real prayer. Earnest prayer, sincere prayer, not, not just a little short one on the way to work in that five-minute drive. That one's okay. If you're driving this town, Lord God, you better be praying while you're driving. That just needs to be a part of it, though. We, we need to have prayed when we woke up in the morning. I mean, it needs to start when you open your eyes. Thank God for another day. Thank God for breath that on this day, you might use me to do something for you. Don't, don't let me be me today. I've, I've been me long enough. Anybody been me long enough? I've been me a long time. Me ain't no good. I'll go ahead and tell you, that cat's bad. God, don't let me be me today. Let me be you through me. Let, let me be you in me. Let, let, let Christ see people through me. Let, let them see a, a joy and a happiness inside of me in spite of what's going on around me. 
tomorrow, I hope most of you know this, tomorrow, Brittany has, has put together, it's on our homepage, you go to faiththegrains.com, if you've not been to faiththegrains.com, you go, that's all the church website, all stuff you can click, but, but there's a day of fasting and prayer tomorrow, that's Brittany Haskett, her husband, Brand, Brandy, Brandon, Brand, Brittany and Brandy, sorry Brandon, Brandon helped her put this together, but, but they've done a really good job of putting together some Old Testament stuff, that, that's our youth pastor, for those of you who don't know, I'm talking about that, that's our youth pastor here, and, and they've put together some Old Testament scriptures and some things that you can read about how kings called the nation to a solemn assembly. And, and even as we saw there in Nehemiah, when, when the warning was given by Jonah, how the king sent out and asked everybody to fast and to pray that, that God might turn his judgment from a nation. So they put together a page. You know, I'm amazed at how somebody can do something wicked. It can go viral in about six hours. And you put out something so godly and it's so hard to get it to push. You put out something to try to get Christians to pray and fast together for one day. And it's so hard to get people to like it and turn to it and, and participate in it. It's amazing. So I want to ask if you would, if you haven't already, make sure you, you check that out. Same live stream. Any of you out there that see that prior to, you know, that we could fast and pray for at least a day. For at least a day. That, that God would heal this land. That there, there's a lot more riding on Tuesday. If tomorrow, if tomorrow wasn't the day before the election and Tuesday wasn't election day, it would not change where we are. If the election wasn't for two or three more years at this point, it would not change where we are. We stand at a crossroad of godliness versus godlessness. That's where America's at. And we've become a people divided, but it's in large part because Christians... We can't be praying earnestly or fervently or sincerely. And the only reason I say that, not in judgment of Christians, but God's already shown me what he would do for the land if we were. He's already told me that he would forgive our sin and heal our land, and the land's not healed. So it makes me wonder if everybody else is like me, and we know that we have not prayed effectively enough, often enough, fervently enough, with compassion enough, not had the broken heart that, that Nehemiah has to, to fast and pray, weep and mourn over the condition of the people of the land. Anybody love this country? I'll go ahead and tell you, I, I love this country. I love our military, what they stand for, how they protect us. I even love this system as bad as we've turned it into. It's not a bad system, we just made it bad. And if you don't like this land... They're still selling plane tickets. COVID, COVID is a little different. You may have to select some areas you can and can't fly to, but you're looking for a one-way ticket anyway, so don't worry about coming back. If you, don't, if you don't like this land, you have no stake in the matter. I love this land. God gave us this land. God founded this land. God sent godly men here, just like he used godly men to write this book. God sent godly men here to build this nation. And I think she's worth praying for. I think she's worth fighting for. I know for a fact my God is worth fighting for. I know he's worth standing up for. His word's worth defending. I just wonder, I just wonder if maybe we could just start something here. Just start a prayer movement this morning here. 
I, I know about COVID and all that. It's okay. Protect yourselves. Grab your mask. Six foot apart. Take care of your social distance and use the aisles if you need to. The altar's never closed. It never has been. You know that. And most of the time I forget to mention the mask, but I'll go ahead and mention it. You can protect yourself and bring it with you. But you don't have to come here to pray. Pray right where you're at. You don't, you don't have to come gather around a bunch of other people. But I, I do know that, that God said where two or more would gather in his name, that he'd be there. And so I believe if we were to gather and to pray that, that God would do something. I believe him at his word. I have no idea what Tuesday holds. I just know who holds Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and next Sunday. So I'm just going to trust him. But I'm going to pray and ask him to show favor on this, on this land. and Forgive us of our sins and heal our land according to your word. I want us to pray for godly direction, godly leaders, godly wisdom, godly correction. If you stand where you're at, I want to ask those of you at will, you grab your mask or however you need to do it. I don't, I don't want to create a... They consider an unlawful assembly. So I'll ask you to grab your mask or keep your six foot or whatever you need to do to come and pray. But I just want to ask us as a church. You know, it's got to start somewhere. Real, real sincere prayer has got to start somewhere. I just want it to start with me. I want it to start with Faith Baptist Church. I, I want it to be us together, united as one. This, this is my family. This is where God has put me. This is the people that I'm with. Can, can I can I just plug this one in? Regardless of what I think and my opinion and all this there. Who you vote for ain't gonna matter to me. I'm gonna love you just the same. We can have a private conversation but I'm gonna leave it at that. I just want to ask us to pray and seek God's will. It's the same for me. I don't, I don't want to walk into that booth and put who I want. I want to walk into that booth and say, God, who do you appoint as leader of this country to take us in the direction that you want us to go where we continue to be a shining light around the globe, where we continue to send. We've got 90-something missionaries on the wall that we support every month that are around the world. I want to be able to continue to, to send those 90-something missionaries. I want to add to that. I, I want us to have... 200 missionaries. I want America to continue to be a, a nation that sends missionaries around the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in places where they may have never even heard it. There's still islands of cannibals on this planet. There's still places that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ on this planet. I know that's hard to imagine in our world where everything is at the touch of our finger, but everybody don't have what we have. Everybody didn't get up and eat breakfast this morning. Everybody didn't have a car or a bed to sleep in this morning. Everybody didn't have clean clothes to put on this morning. Everybody didn't have a radio or a television this morning. Everybody didn't get to come to church this morning. Everybody doesn't have neighbors that loves them and cares about them this morning. Everybody does not have things that spread the gospel, that bring it to them. And some of them are in countries that if they had a Bible, they'd be killed for toting it. We need to thank God for the freedoms that we have, the grace and the mercy and all that he's given us. We can't take that for granted. We've got to be a people of prayer.